Section 4 of The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Kesrick of Southern Ohio. The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. Four. When he came to, it was night. Jill sat patiently beside him. She had brought him food, and while he wolfed it down, she went away to fetch water in a broad cupped leap. He tried to talk to her, but there was a gulf between them too wide to be bridged. She seemed subdued and brooding, and would not come close to him. He had robbed her of the fire of Shanga, and she had not forgotten it. The futility of trying to escape with her was obvious. After a while he rose and left her, and she did not try to follow. The garden was still under the light of the low moons. Apparently the beasts of Shanga, true to their ape heritage, were sleeping. Moving with infinite caution, Winters prowled the arena in search of a way out. A plan had taken shape in his mind. It was not much of a plan, and he knew that very probably he would be dead before morning, but he had nothing to lose. He did not even particularly care. He was a man, an earth man, and there was an anger in him that was deeper than any fear. The walls of the arena were smooth and high. Even an ape could not have climbed them. All the tunnels were blocked off except the one by which they had entered. He crept down it and found the barred gate impenetrable. Beyond it was a little guard fire and two sentries. Winters went back to the arena. He could see no sign of the guard in the empty tiers of the seats. There was no reason for one. In itself, the amphitheater was a perfect prison, and the creatures of the garden had no wish to escape from the besoting joys of Shanga. Whipped before he started, Winter stood glaring bitterly at the walls that held him fast. Then he caught sight of one of the booms from which the Shanga prisms were suspended. Going to the nearest one, he studied it. It was high out of reach, a long metal pole that stretched from the side of the arena above the wall and, with the other one, centered the Shanga rays over the clearing, high out of reach. But if a man had a rope, Winters went in among the trees. He found vines and creepers and tore them away and knotted them together. He found a small log in the deadfall, big enough to weigh one end but light enough for throwing. Then he returned to the boom. On the third cast, the log went over. He drew his flimsy rope down, making a double strand. Hand over hand, praying that the vines would hold, he began to climb. It seemed like a long way up. He felt very naked and exposed in the moonlight. The vines held, and no challenging voice shouted at him. He clung to the boom and worked his way along it, first dropping the telltale rope. Presently, he was safe among the tiered seats. Avoiding the guard by the tunnel, he made his way out of the amphitheater and circled out across the slope, keeping cover where there was cover, crawling on his belly where there was none. The shifting moon shadows helped him, because they made visibility a treacherous thing. 
The palace loomed above him, huge and dark, crushed under the weight of time. Only two lights showed. One on the ground floor he guessed would be the guard room. The other on the third level was dim as though made by a single torch. That, he hoped, would be the apartment of Fawn. Up the slope and into the shelter of the palace garden, and then into the palace itself. The great half-ruined pile could not have been guarded, even if there had been reason to guard it. Padding slightly on naked feet, Winters glided through the vast empty halls, trying to keep a plan of the place straight in his mind. His eyes were accustomed to the dark, and enough moonlight fell through the embrasures to let him see where he was going. Room and hall and corridor, smelling of dust and death, dreaming over their faded flags and broken trophies, remembering glory. Winter shivered. Something of the cold breath of eternity lived in this place. He found a ramp and then another, and at last on the third level he saw light, the weak flicker of it from a crack in the door. There was no guard. That was a break, not only because it was a difficulty eliminated, but because it confirmed his guess that Fond was a person who would want no check on her comings and goings. From the standpoint of safety in this place, a guard would only be a useless adornment. Fond was on her own ground here. There were no enemies, save one. Winters opened the door without sound. A maid slept on the low couch. She did not stir as he passed. Beyond an open arch hung with heavy curtains, he found the Lady Fond. Winter struck her quite ruthlessly. Sleep became unconsciousness. There was no outcry. With silks and girdles he found in the room, he bound and gagged her and flung her lightweight over his shoulder. Then he went back the way he had come silently out of the palace. It was as easy as that. He had not thought it would be easy, but it was. After all, he thought, men seldom guard against the impossible. Phobos had gone on its careening flight around Mars, and Deimos was too low to give much light. Now, carrying the unconscious bond, now dragging her across the open spaces, Winters made his way back to the amphitheater, in and across the tiered seats to the wall. It was a twenty-foot drop, but he made it as easy as he could on her. He didn't want her dead. Then he slid over himself, hung briefly by his fingertips, and fell into the cushioning brush. When he got his breath back, he made sure that Bond was not hurt. Then he carried her swiftly into the shelter of the unholy garden. Remembering a particularly dense patch of shrubbery near the central clearing, he made for it and crept thankfully into concealment with the air of all the kings of Balkis. Then he waited. Her eyes were looking up at him in the dim light, bitter gold above the gag of scarlet silk. Yes, he said, you're here in the Garden of Shanga. I brought you here. We have a bargain to talk about, Fond. He undid the gag, keeping his hand close over her mouth lest she should cry out. She said, There will be no bargain between us, Earthman. Your life, Fond. Your life for mine. 
and Jill's, and the others here who can still be saved. Destroy the prisons. Stop this madness, and you can live to be as old and crazy as your mother. There was no fear in her. Unbending pride and hatred, but no fear. She laughed. He put his hand on her throat, his fingers reaching iron strong around her neck. Slim, he said, soft and tender. It would snap so easily. Break it, then. Shanga will go on without me. Core Hall will take over, and you, Burke Winters, you can't escape. Her teeth showed white in a taunting smile. You'll run with the beasts. No man can break free from Shanga. Winters nodded. I know that, he said quietly. Therefore, I must destroy Shanga before it destroys me. She looked at him, naked and unarmed, crouching in the brush. Once more, she laughed. He shrugged. Perhaps it is impossible. I won't know that until it's too late anyway. It isn't really me I'm worried about, Fond. I could be perfectly happy running on all fours through your garden. Probably I would be perfectly happy hissing and wallowing in the lake. Now the idea sickens me, but after a touch of Shanga, it will be all right. No, it isn't me that matters, or even Jill. What then? Earth has its pride, too, he told her gravely. It's a younger and cruder pride than yours. It can become pretty ruthless and obnoxious at times, I'll admit, but on the whole, Earth is a good planet, and her people are good people, and she's done more to advance the solar system than all the other worlds put together. As an Earthman, I don't like to see my world disgraced. He glanced up and around the amphitheater. I think, he went on, that Earth and Mars can learn a lot from each other, if the fanatics on both sides will stop making trouble. You're the worst one I've ever heard of, Fond. You go even beyond fanaticism. He looked at her speculatively. I think you're as mad right now as your mother. She did not flare up at that, which convinced him that she was not mad at all, only twisted by the way she lived and the things she had been taught. She said, What you plan to do about all of this? Wait. Until dawn, or perhaps later. Anyway, until you've had time to think. Then I shall give you a last chance. After that, I shall kill you. She was smiling when he replaced the gag, and her eyes did not waver. The hours passed, darkness into dawn, then into full daylight. Winter sat unmoving, his head bowed over his knees. Fawn's eyes were closed, and it seemed that she slept. The garden woke to life with the sun, and all around the dense thicket Winters heard the padding footsteps and the growling of the beasts of Shanga. The things in the shallow lake cried out, and their musky taint soured the wind. Winters shivered like a man with a fever, and his brooding eyes were haunted. After a while, Jill came. Animal-like, she had found him. Animal-like, she came, slipping without a sound through the brush. She would have cried out at the sight of Fond, but he silenced her. She crouched beside him, watching him, 
She was afraid of him, and yet she could not stay away. He stroked her shoulder. It was soft and strong and trembling under his hand. Her gaze was doe-like, full of sadness and a bewildered yearning. Winter's face became as bleak and pitiless as the barren stars that watch from outer space. The time grew very short. Jill began to look upward toward the prisms. Winter sensed in her a growing nervousness. He shook fond. She opened her eyes and looked at him, and he knew what her answer would be before he asked the question. Well? She shook her head. For the first time, Winter smiled. I have decided, he said, not to kill you after all. What he did after that was done quickly and efficiently, and there was no one to see but Jill and Fond. Jill did not understand. The heiress of the kings of Valkus understood too well. People began to drift into the amphitheater. Martians coming to see a show, coming to learn contempt and loathing for the men of Earth. Winters watched them. He was still smiling. Suddenly, he turned to Jill. When he rose a few minutes later, scratched and panting, she was securely bound with strips torn from the bonds of Fond. This time, she would not bathe so helplessly in the fire of Shanga. The Martians gathered. Kor Hall came into the royal box, bringing the old woman who leaned on his arm. The gong sounded. End of section four.